You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Friday. Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason. As always, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Plenty to get to on this edition of Spain and Fitz. We've got a game five coming your way tonight on ESPN. Avs looking to close out defending champion Tampa Bay for the Stanley Cup trophy. NBA draft and all the surprises that come with came with that as well. Getting to the fallout uh, for all of the teams that had top picks last night. But I would be remiss if I did not mention the Supreme Court's ruling uh, against Roe v. Wade overturning Roe v. Wade today. Uh, we we say we'll talk. We will not belabor the point all that much, but it would feel weird had we not mentioned it one day after going so heavy on the 50th anniversary of Title IX here on ESPN Radio. I always view my job as a sports talk uh, radio host and, and journalist in that same right as someone who provides people with a respite in times of really heavy news. And that's what we're going to do here tonight uh, on ESPN Radio. But I felt like we should at least mention it to Ron um, before getting into some of the NBA draft talk on Spain and Fitz. And we'll get right into that. Um, just to, starting with the biggest surprise from last night, Paulo Bancaro going to the Orlando Magic at number one hours before the NBA draft kicked off, it seemed like the the top three were a lock between Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and Paolo Bancaro in that order, and the order then gets flipped on its head with the Orlando Magic, the team that had a whole ton of intrigue surrounding it, entering the week, what they were going to do with the number one pick, whether they would keep the number one pick, and they ended up doing that. Let's hear from Seth Greenberg, ESPN basketball analyst, who was on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max this morning on why the Orlando Magic took Paulo Bencaro. This was the safest pick in terms of, look, 6'10", 255, highly skilled, can play in isolations, great passer, Chris Weber-type vision and feel as a passer from the front court, obviously not committed defensively. Uh, He's a guy that's going to probably score 18 points a game next year. I can't disagree with any of that, and I feel like when you took a look at Paulo Bencaro going into the draft, I was wondering the entire time as a polished product right now, why he wasn't projected number one overall. Jabari Smith, the forward from Auburn, high ceiling, high reward player, but as far as somebody who can create his own shot, create for others, and give you um, you know, give you a lot on the offensive end, it felt like Paulo Bancaro, as Seth Greenberg said, Tron, was the safest pick all along. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's why, frankly, I, all along I felt he should have been the the first pick. I've felt that way for most of this year, to be honest with you. And when you look at just how he's able to – the versatility standpoint, and then you look at, you know, the way he was able to, to kind of put Duke on his back and, and, and take them where they went, he's clearly the, the most complete prospect. Even look at the matchup that he had against Gonzaga and Chet Holmgren – it was very clear who was the best player on that court, and it wasn't Holmgren. Yeah, and the way that uh, things fell for Chet Holmgren, as most people expected, him going number two overall uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then Jabari Smith third overall to the Houston Rockets. And for a team that's in rebuild mode and has been in rebuild mode now for about a year, uh, Houston, that is, Tehran, I feel like when you – when you go through like the winners and the losers of the NBA draft, they're way up there at the top of as a team that from a pure value standpoint, um, 
there was not like too much of a separation between pick number one and pick number three. And I think landing Jabari Smith, who was expected by most uh, to be the number one overall pick, helps the Houston Rockets as they try to guide this this rebuild. And, you know, they've already got some great offense, some great like big men talent, uh, Alpern Sagoon and Bancara would have been fine. Absolutely, in that mix in Houston, but oh, yeah. I um I think that this is this is probably the best possible course of action for the Houston Rockets as they go about this rebuild. Yeah, I mean Jabari Smith's a score. You know, he's he's a, another versatile player. I'm not going to put him as versatile as Bancaro, but he there's a lot that he could do. But I tell you the pick that I really like. Um, they were able to also get uh, Eason, which. He's a Tyree Easton is is a good player and he's someone that you know he has the length of six eight he he's a, a good defender I mean he's he, he averaged one point nine steals a game um, I I think that was another pick that they were able to get and uh, they're putting some young talent there and, and that's a good thing because these guys could grow together and uh, as Jabari Smith said try to change that losing culture that's there in Houston Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason. Uh, the Houston Rockets had pick number three and pick number 17, LSU defender Tari Eason, superior defender, the draft's top defender uh, in many respects. A night mm-hmm. that they were expected to emphasize offense, but they did a really good job balancing out the roster. And then I felt like they got a steal in the draft with Ty Ty Washington yes. coming in at number 29. He was expected to potentially be an earlier, you know, mid first round pick, possibly going to Houston at 17 where they ended up taking Easton but they got him 12 spots later and then they gave uh you know I think for Jalen Green who we project out as this future star potentially a long-term partner in the backcourt yeah exactly and I think the thing with with Ty Ty Washington that you have to focus on is the development side of things and that's kind of the luxury that NBA teams have the NFL teams and Courtney you know we we both cover NFL teams a first-round pick is, all right, you, you need to come in and contribute immediately, and you got to be that guy immediately. Mm-hmm. And first-round picks in the NBA, they don't have to do that. So they do have the luxury of allowing Ty Ty Washington to develop, and he, there's a lot of upside with him. So you, you put him in there, and, uh, you know, he's a nice combo guard. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out well for them. Like I said, they got three young guys that they could all grow together, and that's going to be a good thing for for Houston. Now, a team we weren't necessarily expecting to stay at their spot in the top five was the Sacramento Kings, but that's exactly what they do, and they pass up on Jaden Ivey in the mm-hmm. process. And I've read through a lot of draft breakdowns uh, from last night to Ron, and you know, in the winner-loser category, a lot of people have the Kings as number one in the ladder. Yeah. And I can understand why. It's not that they did not need another guard. Um, I don't think that you can completely – you know, rain on their parade because they passed on Jaden Ivey. First off, you know, we'll get into Jaden Ivey and what he brings the Pistons backcourt with him and Cade Cunningham. That could be an incredibly scary duo uh, in years to come. But, you know, the way that the Sacramento Kings handled this in not taking what they could have gotten potentially exactly. from a team like the New York Knicks. That's like, think about exactly. the haul you would have gotten. Exactly. And, and some of the mid-level players right now, because as we heard all week long from Woj and other ESPN NBA insiders, they were very active in calling around, trying to to move some pieces so they'd be able to upgrade their roster as well. Because I feel like the Knicks, looking at where they're at in the East right now and all of the holes that they 
feel that they could fill with some young talent surrounding um, what they currently have on their roster, it would have been probably a no-brainer for most teams not named the Sacramento Kings to go in and take the haul that they were being offered. But that's not what they did. They end up with Keegan Murdy, who's a, you know, a terrific player in his own right. I just felt like from the short-term, long-term gain, it probably wasn't the right move. Well, yeah, I mean, you pretty much said it all. Uh, Keegan Murray, however, I th- he's obviously the better fit, right? And I-, I think that's what they looked at. But at the same time, it, you know, they could have moved back and still gotten him, right? Mm-hmm. And I-, I think that's the major loss for them is there was so much interest. It wasn't just Detroit. It was New York, as you mentioned. There were multiple teams that were interested in Jaden Ivey, and they felt that they had to get up to four to get him and – Lo and behold, a deal wasn't made. So you did lose out on, on a lot of that. Even if it was just going back to, to number five, right, yeah. and, and just flipping picks, you still could have got more out of get more the, out of Detroit. the deal and still gotten your player that, that you wanted. And that's when you work the draft. That's how you work the draft. And, look, they got the better fit, but – I think they could have got more. And they were there were so many teams that were publicly interested in Jaden Ivey and that if you're the Sacramento Kings, even if Keegan Murray was your guy all along, you probably could have played the game a exactly. little better on draft night to Push even it, move back one spot yeah. because we knew how interested Detroit was and, and they're licking their chops there realizing, wow, we A, didn't get fleeced and B, can stay exactly where we were in the draft and order get the player they wanted. and pick up the player that they wanted. So... Sacramento Kings back or I guess staying in the same spot that they've been um, you know it's it's weird to think back uh, with this team in the last couple years like when they took Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic back yeah. in 2018 seems like the more things change the more they stay the same for the Sacramento Kings um, but you know Jaden Ivey I think for him as we heard uh, pre-draft he really didn't want to go to Sacramento everything turned out just fine uh, for the player at least in the end. Coming up next, a familiar face is the new coach for the Charlotte Hornets. Let's get Tehran's two cents on Steve Clifford and the new hire for the Charlotte Hornets next here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The Charlotte Hornets have a new head coach. They hired Steve Clifford, who has agreed to return to the Charlotte Hornets after they got left at the altar by Golden State Warriors top assistant Kenny Atkinson, who last weekend, after agreeing to the job, said, I'm going to stay in the Bay Area and continue to win championships here with Stephen Curry and company. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason on this Friday night. As a reminder, be sure to tune in to a national league battle tomorrow as the Phillies host the Cardinals presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. So the Hornets went into the draft without a coach and kind of a rough week for them to do so given where they were picking in the draft, but feels like at least now, Teron, there's a little bit of stability, um, but it's a weird hire considering Steve Clifford was with the Charlotte Bobcats slash Hornets, um, their, their former uh, name as well, from 2013 to 2018, spent 2018 through 21 with the Orlando Magic and now is is back with Charlotte. Like, what do you make of this hire? Because at initial glance, when I saw the alert come through that they had made a hire, it felt like, did Terry Stott say, I wasn't your first choice, so I don't want to come at all. What about Mike D'Antoni? Like all of these other candidates that they had that they had interviewed over the last four weeks or so. Like why did they not go back to their other top choices? 
Well, you know, they considered uh, Mark D'Antoni, um, Mike D'Antoni, excuse me. They considered him, and he was someone that was kind of like one of the finalists once again. And uh, that, I think, would have been a good match from one perspective, and that's for, for LaMelo Ball, you know, because given how D'Antoni has been with, with point guards in the past, that would have definitely given uh, Ball a chance to really showcase what he has. But it would not have healed the big – deficiency on this team and that's defense right you, you look over the last four seasons they've been in a, a bottom uh third or a bottom 10 uh, in defensive rating you know last this past season they were 23rd right so you you wanted to fix that by bringing in Kenny Addison Atkinson who was so good from a defensive standpoint but now you're able to still get that in in Clifford and I, I think when you look at him and his time with Charlotte uh, they had a, had an outstanding defense. They were top ten in, in defensive efficiency, efficiency three times. Uh, he was uh, top ten in, in the two years that he when he moved on to Orlando. So this is a good thing for what Charlotte wants to do, and that's improve that defense. They already had the offense going. You know, anytime you got ball in there, you got Gordon Hayward. You know, you got Miles players Bridges. there, Miles Bridges as well. I mean, you got plenty of players in there that could help out. And then the thing that I like about it, because you, you talk about the draft and to kind of put the ball around it, they got a really, really good rim, rim protector in Mark Williams. Yeah. I mean, and- that guy will block some shots for you and alter some shots. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. And they, it, they did a good job of just completing the picture. Charlotte had picks at number 13 and number 15 in the first round. Jalen Duran from Memphis. Uh, that was a three-team deal where they ended up trading with Detroit, ended up getting the 13th overall pick, and then at 15, as Tehran said, they got Mark Williams from Duke. So Clifford was with the Charlotte Hornets, as we mentioned, for five seasons, 2013 to 18. He had a 196 and 214 record with a team that had Kemba Walker on it. So for those asking, how did the Hornets get here here's Woj on the story of Steve Clifford and the Hornets it's a pretty neat story I mean uh, Steve Clifford was the last coach to get the Hornets into the playoffs went twice in his five years in Charlotte you know he was let go after the 2018 season went on to Orlando where he got them to the playoffs two out of three years but he but he kept a really good uh, relationship with Michael Jordan who always had great respect for Steve Clifford and listen, he really fit exactly what this young team needed. Uh, a coach who's going to come in, get them much better defensively, uh, and, and develop you know, a toughness and, and a continued professionalism with a young team and get them into the postseason. So as we know it, it, from what Woj was saying, it doesn't sound like Clifford, when he left in 2018, left on bad terms. It, clearly, Michael Bridges. Jordan, the owner yeah. of the Charlotte Hornets, just rehired him, so he must think very highly of him. And we know that he's a tough, defensive-minded coach. The mm-hmm. Charlotte Hornets finished 6th, 10th, 9th, 17th, and then 17th again in defensive rating when Clifford was there from 13 to 18. They were 22nd this past season under James Borrego, who got fired after another um, another instance of the Hornets getting bounced uh, from the playoffs this time in in the play-in tournament. So I I feel like, I mean, it's obviously ironic because Borrego replaced Clifford back in 2018 and now it's Clifford replacing Borrego. So maybe they just like to keep things like all in-house and and not really go outside the box. But from, from the perspective of trying to fix your 
weakest link here because you you said it like they don't they don't really need any help on the offensive end uh in terms of from from a coaching perspective because you've got great players Gordon Hayward Miles Bridges um LaMelo Ball exactly I mean you've got playmakers on the offensive end but trying to figure out a way to not give up 132 points the way, yeah, it, you know, atrocious. in 29-point loss that they had to the Hawks in the play-in tournament uh, this past season, that was embarrassing, and that mm-hmm. clearly doesn't sit well with the owner, which is why Jordan ended up making a significant change here. But for a team that was reeling after getting, you know, told at the 11th hour that their their top choice, Kenny Atkinson, was not coming, I feel like this is maybe not the worst alternative when it's all said and done. But I, I understand the skepticism of, of fans who say, we've seen this experiment before. And while defensively this team was in a better spot from 13 to 18 than it was this past year, this guy also went, as we mentioned, 196 and 214, had a losing record in five years at a team that had Kemba Walker. So, how much more can you expect improvement? I feel like that's all, um, you know, go- going to be the proof will be in the pudding, so to speak, there. But the experience is there. He agreed to a multi year contract to return to the Charlotte uh, Hornets um, for, for this new position, for, I guess, a new and old position for Steve Clifford. But, um, should be should be interesting nonetheless. Uh, and, and you had mentioned. I just want to talk about Mark Williams really quick. The 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 player from Duke that they drafted, 15th overall. I felt like the way that they came away from the first round last night to Ron with the haul that they did fills quite a few holes for the Hornets. Yeah, and I mean they acquired picks as well. I, I think I think they're in really good shape as far as uh, going forward. And you know, just to get back to this this Clifford. Uh, hiring Steve Clifford, I, I think, yeah, the fans may have seen it before, but you know what? What they saw before was better than what they've seen recently. So there is going to be improvement from that perspective. And I think when you look at, as you mentioned, you know, some of the talent that's there, they're going to be in good shape. And then now, I mean, you got this guy, Mark Williams, coming in, and uh, that's going to help a lot defensively, especially with how he protects the room. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. So the so the Charlotte Hornets have a new coach, and we will continue to belabor this point and what it means uh, potentially for the rest of the Eastern Conference uh, and how that will play out later here in the show. But coming up next, when he talks, we can't help but listen. Where does Kyrie Irving want to go? Will he get his wish? It's definitely not going to be Charlotte. We'll discuss next. Fane and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Kyrie Irving has a list and he's checking it six times. Got six teams that he would like to go to if he is not able to work out a max extension with the Brooklyn Nets this offseason. He's got a $36.9 million player option that he has to decide on by June 29th, whether he is going to opt in or opt out and become a free agent. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. So this list that came out, Includes the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, the New York Knicks, the Miami Heat, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Philadelphia 76ers. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski uh, reporting that on Thursday prior to the draft. The funny thing about this, Teron, 
None of these teams have the salary cap space to actually sign Kyrie Irving unless Brooklyn cooperates in some form or fashion on this sign and trade. Mm -hmm. So he would effectively need the team that he would be hurting in this process, the team that you know gave him that max extension four years ago in the Brooklyn Nets and orchestrated everything uh, to try to win a championship with Kyrie Irving, he would need them to help him get out here and then go try to win a championship with another team. In what universe do you think that the Brooklyn Nets are going to try I, to they, help Kyrie Irving after everything no he put reason them through? To. Right, they have no reason to. And and if I was if I was the Brooklyn Nets, I, I would. <laughs> Ask him if he is out of his skull, to use a John Gruden <laughs> term, because it's just crazy. And even to have the, the Sixers on this list, I mean, do you not realize that a deal was just made to send James Harden to the Sixers because you and him had issues? Yeah, because he didn't so want to So how are you going to want to go to the like, – that's, that's crazy. And then and in addition to that, even if he doesn't go anywhere, I mean, this isn't what Kevin Durant signed up for. This is not what he signed up for. He thought that they were going to get together and uh, they were going to <laughs> work towards winning a championship, and they are nowhere near doing that now. I just think the Kyrie situation, I, I just I have no clue what he feels he's done to make himself entitled to give a wish list because it's been nothing but disappointment in Brooklyn. Yeah, and everyone's going to bring up the point that Kyrie has leverage here because Kevin Durant is that leverage. Now, KD went to Brooklyn because of Kyrie Irving. Those two teamed up because they thought they could win a championship when they saw a chance in the Eastern Conference that felt a little bit more wide open when the two of them went over there than it does now. Mm -hmm. But Kevin Durant is the is the linchpin in this whole thing about keeping him happy because there's the thought and the belief that if Kyrie Irving opts out, Kevin Durant's going to say, you know what? I'm going to be 34 years old this season. I've dealt with injuries in my career, especially the last couple of years coming off that Achilles rupture that he had with the Golden State Warriors and all that, you know, that put him back that he'll want to go somewhere else and play. So it's a matter of wanting to keep Kevin Durant happy by doing something that just doesn't seem realistic in the grand scheme of things. And and that's where we have to talk about that. This is not, you can't look at this through the what is right and what is wrong lens because that wouldn't make any sense given the politicking that is going to be played here between Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. Should they give him a long-term extension? Absolutely not. The guy was a part-time player for you last year because he didn't mm -hmm. want to abide by the vaccine mandate. The he's team missed more games than he's played since he's been there. Played, played 29 games last season, gave you nothing as far as lifting this team past the Boston Celtics in the first round of the playoffs where they got embarrassed and bounced in, in a, in a four-game sweep. And now he's asking for... The same sort of extension, the same sort of deal that Kevin Durant got after he signed a four-year, $198 million extension last offseason. So let's talk a little bit more about that leverage. Who has it between Kyrie Irving and the Nets? Here's Alan Hahn, host of Barton Hahn. Well, I think the Nets have the leverage if they have the, the gumption, for lack of a better word, uh, to, to stare this thing down and just say, go ahead, go ahead. See if you can find a team that will be able to give you what you want. Because there might be teams that want you. I think the Lakers, I really believe the Lakers want him. I believe LeBron wants to bring him in there. I believe that's a real thing. But they have no means to do it. So if I'm Sean Marks and Joe Sy, I'm looking right at him. Go ahead. 
Go ahead. Go kicking and screaming. You go ahead and walk away from $36 million. You go ahead and do that and see how this ends up. We're willing to at least give you that and a little bit of a guarantee, but not an entire one. So which way do you want to go? So as far as what it would take for Kyrie Irving to go somewhere else and what Alan Hahn was saying about the face-off between the Brooklyn Nets and their point guard, you know, he would have to take a considerable pay cut to the tune of $30 million if he were to join the Los Angeles Lakers this summer and, and team back up with LeBron James, who, you know, if they're considered the biggest contenders to get his services right now for a team that's not the Brooklyn Nets, you know, how could how could Kyrie Irving justify that considering how much money he missed out on from not playing in games last season? Yeah, you can't justify it. So I tell you what would be interesting, though, if they did a sign and trade and uh, Westbrook was involved with – Russell Westbrook was involved with the trade. Imagine that reuniting with, with Kevin Durant. That would be a really interesting thing there in, in, in Brooklyn. So I, I wonder if that's something that they would discuss. Uh, I, I just – I mean, if I'm Darvin Ham as well, like I, I, I wouldn't want that put on me. Like, no, don't. I, I'm not trying to deal with that. So I, I highly doubt the Lakers make a trade. Um, and again, I, I think Brooklyn themselves, they need to take a look in the mirror and and, and stand up and say, we're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be punked in this issue. <laughs> uh, that's really the bottom line. And I think about from the Lakers' perspective, they just went through what happens when you give LeBron James de facto GM power mm-hmm. to orchestrate trades. And that didn't really work out so yeah. well with Russell Martin Westbrook. Rosen's supposed to be there. And you've got to think that they wouldn't make that same mistake twice. Like there's a $6 million taxpayer exemption uh, that Kyrie Irving could sign with the Lakers, and he would have to take that pay cut, as Adrian Wojnarowski reported, um, which would be to the tune of $30 million less than what he could opt into with Brooklyn. So he'd make $6 million more less to to go to Brook to go to from Brooklyn to Los Angeles but he could opt in to his extension uh or to excuse me to the last year of his deal with the Brooklyn Nets and possibly then have a good you know prove himself this year and then get the deal that he wants but I tend to believe Teron that the safest play the most realistic play if we're looking at this through what Kyrie Irving has shown us the last couple years in terms of the commitment and you know being able to follow through on what he said he's going to do. You give this guy one-year deals. I don't care if you give him $50 million. He is worth it. When he is playing at his best, he is a game changer, and he's one of the most dynamic scorers in the NBA. You give him a deal that is loaded with incentives, but you don't give him the security of a multi-year deal because he hasn't proven it to you yet. Like I know athletes want that multi-year security, and, and oftentimes – um, that's what they're seeking over. But that's earned. Um, it, that's it, earned. You have to earn that. And if you look at what has happened with Kyrie over the last period of time, even going back to Boston, it's just been a series of deals that just have not worked. So it would be ridiculous for them to give him a long-term deal. You hit it right on the head, a series of, of one-year deals, that's exactly what you have to do because he just hasn't shown that he could be relied upon over the long term. 
So if Kyrie Irving opts out, he's going to become an unrestricted free agent next month where he could either agree to a new deal with the Nets or seek a, seek another one elsewhere. It feels like it would be the latter uh, if, if that ends up playing out that way. So the clock is ticking. June 29th is when he has to decide what his future is going to be beyond the season. But it certainly makes free agency kind of, um, you know, what we were expecting of just more like, I guess, a lesser, a less exciting free agency. This would make it very exciting if Kyrie Irving ends up becoming a free agent because then everybody's going to be looking at, well, what's Kevin Durant going to do next? Could this team rebuild around Ben Simmons and a young core? What would the Brooklyn Nets do as far as a rebuild? All of those questions come full circle all depending upon uh, Kyrie Irving being the first domino to fall, whether he stays or whether he goes. That was Straight Talk. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Be sure to tune in to an American League battle tomorrow as the Yankees host the Astros, presented by Progressive Insurance, with coverage beginning 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Coming up next, we'll read and react to some of the lesser-covered headlines in the world of sports. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. He's Teron Davenport. I'm Courtney Cronin, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Told you we were going to get back into the Charlotte Hornets talk here on Spain and Fitz, and what better time to do that than by talking about a former Hornets player here on Read and React. Let's welcome in producer Harry Black. Sorry about that. How's it going, you guys? We are chugging along here on this Friday evening. All right. We're going to start off this uh, rendition of Read and React. In the NFL, Miami Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill. And Javante, why don't you give us – yeah, there we go. That sounds better. Tyreek Hill says he got death threats for comments on Kansas City Chiefs' Patrick Mahomes. Let's start with you, Teron. Yeah, this is just an example of just how excessive <laughs> some of these fans get, man. It, it, he was just trying to make sure he didn't bite the hand that fed him and gave Tua a compliment. That's all. The success he had with Patrick Mahomes, it, it clearly speaks for itself. It's definitely not that deep, man. Ladies and gentlemen, just take a deep breath and just whoops out. Yeah, this one was not surprising to hear, uh, and that's kind of like the, the sad desensitization I guess being desensitized to the whole thing where fans say things and they don't realize that saying things have consequences, especially when it comes to, um, you know, giving Tyreek Hill death threats because they felt like he slighted quarterback Patrick Mahomes. You know, were the comments that Tyreek Hill said, like, egregious? No, not at all. Like, Teron was saying he was pumping up his new teammate into Attack of Iloa, and he was also trying to get people to listen to his podcast. Those comments came on the inaugural uh, episode of his podcast. He had his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, on as well. And did it create some headlines and some fodder that we all like to talk about, wondering, is Tua really more accurate than Patrick Mahomes? Sure. But it's not, it's not more serious than just that. I think people, as always, take things a little bit too far, which seems to be par for the course nowadays. Um, hopefully, hopefully nothing more comes of this. Par for the course goes perfectly into our next topic. <laughs> you like what I did there, Teron? <laughs> nice segue. PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan, quote, LIV or Live Golf is an irrational threat, said it is not concerned with true growth of the game, 
and that it's attempting to buy the sport and dismantle institutions intrinsically invested in its own growth. Courtney, let's start with you. I think that he's spot on about this because it's not an institution that is going to, or it's not a you know golf organization that really cares about the growth of the game. It's you know as we've talked about in many ways a money grab by these players because they see an opportunity that they don't have in playing for the PGA Tour to have guaranteed dollars uh, to their name, depending upon the type of tournaments that they're in. And I can understand this kind of feels like, look, and I'm not somebody who like supports what, what Live Golf is doing. I feel like it's kind of hokey, and eventually it's going to get found out there. The shotgun starts, the fact that it has no major TV deal, and things might change if, if they do get more players. I believe they have eight of the top 50 players um, in the world golf rankings to run, but it just feels like this is the old guard of golf calling out something that it's threatened by. That's what it is. And um, to me, you know, Jay Monahan and the PGA have changed the goalpost after saying they were not going to. All the things that we heard on, I believe it was Tuesday this week, in response to Live Golf with, like, the changing of the calendar for the PGA Tour coming up next year, and then the purse the purse is being guaranteed up to a certain amount uh, for the eight tournaments that Monaghan ha- had talked about kind of in his State of the Union address. It feels like three weeks ago we weren't going to be in this spot, but the PGA Tour very clearly feels some type of way about what Live Golf is doing and the power that Live Golf is trying to come after. There is absolutely no meat left on the bone. Next segment. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have the Detroit Pistons acquire veteran Kemba Walker from the New York Knicks. Do we ever talk about that team as part of a three-team trade? Teron, let's start with you. Yeah, that is one that, I mean, the Kemba Walker project clearly didn't work there. Uh, This is a part of how I feel that the Knicks were a loser on on draft day because you you have this trade – you also have like trading uh, their 11th pick, and so you between Kemba Walker and the 11th pick, they in return got three first round picks. Two of them are lottery protected, and one is top 18 protected. That's what they got in return. Yes, they were able to get rid of some salary. Maybe that'll lead to Jalen Brunson coming in. They hired his dad to be a part of the organization. I wouldn't go there if I was Brunson, but. I mean, they got money freed up, so they're going to get somebody. And I think that's exactly what this deal was done with that purpose of acquiring a veteran. This is why I brought back up the Charlotte Bobcats, because I think when I think of Kemba Walker, I think about the early years of his career, and he spent 11 and 19 there, and all that he wasn't able to accomplish and all that team was not able to accomplish when um, Steve Clifford was their head coach. But You know, he's bounced around a number of different places. It didn't work out with the Boston Celtics. It didn't work out with the New York Knicks. But I think of the Detroit Pistons as a big winner coming out of the NBA draft, not just because of of getting Ivy last night. Um, You know, they sacrificed the the 2025 first-round pick that they got in the Jeremy Grant trade and some cap space to then take on Kemba Walker. So I feel like, you know, what they were able to do in addition – like, you know, in – getting some names uh, via, you know, making some trades in the draft. And that was like the big one of the night, a little underwhelming here, but for the Detroit Pistons, um, you know, I I think that this was not a bad move for them whatsoever. And it's going to be interesting to see what Kemba Walker looks like in this team. That Walker, that'll probably be a buyout though. They'll probably agree to some type of buyout. 
We shall see. Yeah, I mean, they, jumping back into the lottery and you get Jalen Duran, um, that's smart. And taking on Walker might not have been ideal, at least at the time being, but they saved a lot of money by trading Grant, uh, not uh-huh. having to take on that extra salary that they mm-hmm. could have done if they were going after Miles Bridges or DeAndre Ayton in restricted free agency. So we, again, we'll see what happens with that. What's What do we have next? All right, we got one more. Roger Goodell says he has no authority to remove Daniel Snyder as owner of the Washington Commanders. Let's start with you, Teron. <laughs> well, uh, I think he does have authority to facilitate that. You look at what happened in the past with, with the Clippers and, and, and Donald Sterling. I think that's something he should probably look into, how that whole process happened. So I get what he's saying just as far as like he can't say, hey, you can't be the owner, but he could definitely facilitate it. And it's one of those things where Daniel, Daniel Snyder, Snyder is like a uh, – he's beyond a cat. Like this man has a trillion lives. And however he is able to continue to exist in, in his role, uh, it, it amazes me because, uh, I mean, he's kind of taken on the, the name can't get right. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance by visiting Progressive.com. He may not have the ultimate authority to go in and remove Daniel Snyder as the owner of the Washington Commanders, but he does have the power to facilitate a vote and to urge owners to vote on this issue. Now, things would get certainly very tenuous and very awkward when Roger Goodell, who Technically, his boss is Daniel Snyder, you know, one of 32 owners uh, in the National Football League, and he'd be levying for him to be removed by asking other owners, and they would need 75% of votes uh, in order to make that happen. But I feel like Goodell could do more here, and I do wonder if the public pressure, if the fan pressure, if it gets to a certain point where Goodell has no choice but to react and but to act on this for, um, you know, for the greater sake of the NFL, because, you know, Tehran said it, he's not a cat. He doesn't have nine lives. He's got a million lives, given how many instances of just bad things that have happened under his watch as the owner of the Washington Commanders that he continues to get away with. And it's it's truly unfortunate. And I think we'd all like to see some changes happen uh, with the ownership groups in the NFL starting in Washington. Coming up next, we'll revisit last night's draft. Who won? Who lost? Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. New York's New York Knicks fans are very sad today. Um, probably par for the course the last 20 years or so. But what happened in the NBA draft and what didn't happen leaves many uh, toiling over their sads uh, as a whole following the 2022 NBA draft. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason on this Friday evening. Be sure to tune in to a National League battle Sunday as the Braves host Dodgers. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins 6 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. But before we get into any of this, I just need you to hear this epic rant from Stephen A. Smith co-host of First Take about what the New York Knicks did on Thursday night. The New York Knicks have had 17 losing seasons in the last 21 years. They had nine straight losing seasons, had three straight winning seasons, 
Mike Woodson did a great job, won the Atlantic Division crown, actually won a playoff series. And then after that, they had another six or seven losing seasons before they won last year with Tom Thibodeau teasing us into believing that new times have arrived. And then we see the same old nonsense taking place. You watched that draft. You covered that draft last night. I was on ABC. You were on ESPN, Big Burp. You saw the talent in that draft. You got a lottery pick. What's the cardinal rule about having a lottery pick? When you got a lottery pick, you got to get a lottery talent. That's what you need to do. You don't walk into the draft. Even though it was at the Barclays Center, damn it, it's still New York. It's one of the boroughs. You're in New York City. You have robbed fans of a reason to be joyous, the reason to be hopeful for the better part of the last 21 years. You also clap, saw Stephen. You also saw Stephen A. Smith and uh, I forget who else was there on set with him uh, during the draft. Um, gosh, they were praying for the New York Knicks. Um, Spike they were, Lee, was, Spike Lee was on his knees, praying to God, hoping that something would change the the course of action here for the Knicks. But as Stephen A. Smith had mentioned there, they traded out of their position uh, as a lottery pick team. Here are the full details of what happened on Thursday night. They had the number 11 pick in the draft. They traded it to the Thunder for three future first-round picks. They then acquired the number 13 pick in exchange for five future draft picks then they go deal that to the Pistons along with Kemba Walker. It basically was for salary cap purposes, got rid of his $9.2 million salary. In the process of all of this, they get a 2025 first rounder, which belonged to the Bucks. The three first round picks that they gained are all protected, though one of them is from Milwaukee. Um, the one that they got from Milwaukee will convey unless it's in the top four. And I don't think that anybody's expecting it to be in the top four, considering who mm-hmm. Milwaukee still has on its team and will have on its team through 2025. Yep. So now they got their salary cap relief that they wanted, $18 million under the cap, and they're in position to make a run next month during free agency. As we as we all expect, Jalen Brunson will probably be their top uh, priority here. But – I'm with Stephen A. I just feel like if you have a lottery pick in the position where they were at number 11, you've got to go like all in to try to rebuild your roster with young talent. Well, here's here's the problem, too. They traded away that lottery pick. And as you pointed to, the picks they got are protected. There's two lottery protected. And another one is top 18 protected. You essentially just punted on the draft. And that's really what, what the Knicks did. They punted on the draft. Yeah, they were able to draft uh, Trevor Kills in the second round. Okay, we'll see how that works. But really what they made it clear is that they are putting all their eggs in the veteran basket. Now, there's multiple options, right? The Kyrie situation, we touched on that earlier. That's something that could happen. But you know what? Kyrie had a chance to go to the Knicks before. So why does he – and decline. So why does he all of a sudden want to do it? And why we'll would see. why would the Nets try to facilitate that right. and Something help the, with, with the know, help a team exactly. on the it, other side of the bridge that they have um, to share the back yes. pages with? No, 100%, that's not. No way. That's not going to happen. So then you have Jalen Brunson. Okay, is that really a guy you want to put as the 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 center? You know, uh, of your team. I, I don't know that you want to do that. What about Donovan Mitchell? If you're able to pry him from Utah, uh, Utah, how would that be? Uh, that, I think, would be the best thing for them to go after, but you need assets to be able to do that, and they don't really have too much to uh, deal to Utah to get a player like Mitchell. 
Yeah, and it just feels like it's Jalen Brunson or bust at this point, which <laughs> um, I get it. I, I don't think it's the absolute worst possible case scenario, but this team, you know, just blew it on the draft yet again. Blew it. You know, all these years where you know they're coming off a very embarrassing finish this season. 11th in the Eastern Conference. You can't really stomach that given what happened last night, knowing what happened at the end of last season, and feel confident about where you're headed. I know that they're thinking veteran players, we're going to get another score, we're going to be fine uh, in terms of the backcourt, but no, I mean, they had every opportunity to try to improve their roster via the draft, and they didn't. And of course, all of those rumors that were going on during the week about going to trade up to land Jaden Ivey and finally investing real equity in a point Man. guard, um, that all fell that fell short. And it's tough because maybe maybe they weren't offering enough. I, I, maybe Sacramento was truly, you know, adamant about staying at number four. But then why weren't they trying to get with Detroit at number five? I mean, Detroit right. clearly was, you know, I mean, we know how public uh, the New York Knicks were in their pursuit of Jaden Ivey and other teams were as well. Don't get me wrong, but why not try harder? Why not try to, you know, continue to to push the envelope there and see who you'd be able to package in a deal to move up to five? I will five? say this. You put him in the garden and the electrifying style of play that he has – that right there would have had that garden. The garden would have been on fire. Because when you look at, at Ivy, he is essentially, you know, a guy that brings the type of play that, that Ja Morant brings. So imagine Ja Morant in a in a large media platform. Mm-hmm. That would be crazy. It would be. And, I mean, I just don't believe that, um, you know, the way that it's set up now – how active this team can be in free agency, what all they can do in free agency. It feels like their heart is set on one or two things, one of them being Jalen Brunson. But what happens to Ron if that doesn't pan out? What exactly is their plan? According to Alan Hahn, ESPN radio host, who was part of our NBA draft coverage on ESPN radio, they're going to be active in trying to go after veteran players to upgrade their roster. The Knicks getting multiple firsts. And as I mentioned before, they have been very active in trying to upgrade their roster with veteran players and trying to get involved in acquiring other players to help them get back to the playoffs. So now wait and see what Leon Rosen company turned this into. And the wait and see game isn't going to be great for these uh, protected picks, um, one of which has a very reasonable chance of never conveying, which is Washington's 2023 first round pick. So, like, read these scenarios out loud and, and see if it makes you feel any better if you're a Knicks fan. So, if the 2023 Detroit first does not convey in 2027, it becomes Detroit's 2027 second round pick. Okay, so that's that's a wash. If the 2023 Washington first round pick doesn't convey in 26. It's the Wizards 2026 and 2027 second round picks. And if that 2023 Denver first round pick does not convey by 2025, it's a second round pick for both of Denver's 2025 uh, picks. So I wouldn't feel all that confident there knowing who the, you know, who's part of the team, which teams are part of the trade here and what that draft capital, it looks good right now, right? 
what that could potentially become. I wouldn't feel very confident if I was a Knicks fan there. Uh, another blown night on draft night for the New York Knicks. I guess we'll see what they do as they try to handle uh, fixing their roster via free agency. The road to the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunez go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up at ESPNplus.com. Coming up next, will a champion be crowned in Denver tonight? The Avalanche faithful certainly hope so, and they're up 3-1. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. I also had that 8-9 to nine second delayed reaction in Game 4 overtime win for the Colorado Avalanche, not knowing if that goal ended up going in. I remember looking around wondering, okay, where's the camera angle going to pan? Like, did it actually happen that way? It felt very anticlimactic. Certainly the Tampa Bay Lightning were not happy with it, and they are on the brink tonight. The Avs trying to close out the defending champion Lightning at home for a Stanley Cup win. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason on this Friday. Night. The Avs have been in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. They're up 3-1 to one right now, Teron, in the Stanley Cup final. Injuries, a whole host of other things have affected the Tampa Bay Lightning to this point. Certainly don't want to take away from all that Colorado has been able to do throughout this playoff series. But when my brain uh, tries to wrap itself around The length of time, the last three years, when you think about this is a Tampa Bay Lightning team going for a three-peat. That's basically an extra season that they've played from the playoffs from from 2020, 2021, and now where they're at in the Stanley Cup final for a third straight year. Um, That's effectively an entire extra season that's been loaded into the last three seasons. And I just kind of feel like it's catching up with them at the wrong time. Yeah, and I think you have to add into that the seven-game series that they've played in this playoff season as well. So there's a lot of hockey that's being played, and really – the wonder is, okay, have they just simply ran out of gas? Like, yeah. Is, is, is it it? You know, and I, I think this game tonight is really critical for them, obviously, because it's, you know, if they lose it, this the season is over. But the way that they come back in this, they have to be able to put that, that loss behind them. You, you know, with the controversial goal, they have to be able to put that behind them. And I think that's where a veteran like a, like a Steven Stamkos comes into play just to help them turn the page, you, you know what I mean, get that talk. You, you know that Al Pacino <laughs> in any given Sunday, we claw for every end. They need that type of uh, conversation um, to really just, just put it past them. He has to be able to do that. And then the other thing is you, you need a, a shutdown performance out of the goalie. Uh, Vasilevsky yeah. – he could get hot. I mean, he's one of the best goals, especially postseason goalies in, in, in NHL history. He could get hot. They need him to shut things down in these next couple games because, you know, obviously today they have to win and then the next one uh, back in, in Tampa. And then, you know, you get to game seven and who knows what could happen in that situation. 
Yeah, and I mean, what a devastating way to lose, the way that they right. did in overtime on Wednesday night, a 3-2 final in favor of the Avalanche. And John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, spoke after the game, I believe took one question only, uh, and it was addressing that goal right there that he felt should have been reviewed. The rules do not permit that. Uh, so the Lightning have to bounce back from that. And it's, it's you know, these guys are professionals. They're champions, two-time champions. It's not out of the realm of possibility to think that they can probably compartmentalize this and put it behind them. But as Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior NHL writer, said when he was on Canty and Carlin this afternoon, they got absolutely crushed in game four. It was definitely a controversy in the moment, and I think he was correct that uh, the referees and the Lions missed that call. But in when it, I was in that press conference, I was actually holding the microphone ready to ask question number two, and then was left holding it when he stormed out after question number one. <laughs> I think that was a bit tactical by Cooper, if we're being honest. I think, look, look, they got their soul crushed losing on home ice in overtime in game four. I think they thought they were definitely coming back here tied 2-2 in the series. They had played well enough in regulation to earn that right. Then they lost in overtime. I feel like he was trying to change the conversation by making a big thing out of the too-many-men situation. And, and I think he was successful. The news cycle for the next 48 hours has been more about that play than anything else. But to a man today, the Lightning say, what's done is done. The pass is passed. They've got to focus on trying to just get one win here on the road. When I take a look at this Lightning team, Teron, I don't feel like they have that much left in the tank, or not enough, at least at this point, to hang around in Denver with the Avalanche because the way that they started out in Game 4, they were hot early on, and then they uh-huh. faded. And it feels like that's kind of been, as these playoffs have gone on, I mean, you think about the Eastern Conference Final. They're down 0-2, the series get to New York, and they go back to Tampa Bay, and they're able to, to muster out a, a seven-game series there. That takes a lot out of you. And, right. you know, frankly, you could have the best goalie in the world, which arguably they do, a best goalie <laughs> yeah. of this generation yeah. in Andre Vasilevsky, but he has not played uh, his best throughout this series. I can think back to not a long time ago, six days ago in game two when he allowed seven goals. And yes, not all of them were his fault. Same thing with Darcy Kemper in game three. We can't pin everything on the goalie. But when it comes to Vasilevsky, it feels like if if he's not at his normal like level of being one of the best postseason goalies in NHL history and the way that he played uh, in games three and four in Tampa, you know, it's over for this Tampa Bay team following following tonight. And, and we see a new champion crowned. Gosh, it is so hard to three-peat in any sport, yeah. and particularly in a sport like hockey. When you take a look at this Lightning team and, and, and just how injured they are from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, they, they had a great run. Uh, I'm not going to discount them yet, but uh, so far, you know, uh, going back to back and, and doing the way that they did, and it's just you got a fresh Colorado team because while we're doing all this talk about how deep the, the Lightning have gone in the playoffs and how they, over the last couple of years, and how they had a seven-game, a very grueling series with the Rangers, Colorado, they were they were at home chilling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Waiting for their next because they, they swept through, pretty much swept through everything. So, uh, yeah, that definitely is a factor. And then you you have to – we're going to talk about Colorado. You have to mention Kale McCarr, who sure. – listen, I, I'm I'm in Nashville, so naturally, you, you know, I, I'm going to – Roman Yossi, you know, I'm going to say he should have won the trophy. But still, you can't short what, what he's been able to do. And 
I mean, he started off slow in this series, but he's a guy that that brings it every night. And if if he gets hot, then that's a whole nother situation that they have to deal with. Puck drop in just a couple minutes on ABC and ESPN Plus Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final. Colorado hosting Tampa Bay in Denver. Kale McCarr, in my opinion, gets the Conn Smith Trophy. There, there's no doubt yeah, in my mind yeah, he's been the absolutely. best player in, in this series. And, and if if they win tonight, it's, it's going to be because of him. They've got home ice, and it's so important, the advantage. Like, we don't talk about home court advantage or home ice advantage or really just, like, playing at home. We'll call it that more than we do in the NHL. Like, I just don't feel like it necessarily plays into um, the outcome of games, whether uh, playoff games in baseball or whether it's in the in the NFL or even in the NBA. But you see what that's like for hockey and whether that's the travel – element that's in there too whether it's you know just the the injury luck it just feels like it's more prevalent there but regardless of what you know them playing at home tonight to Ron um you know Kale McCarr has to be that guy for for the Colorado Avalanche because game one might not have been his best game um but you know he's third leading scorer in the entire postseason field uh absolutely wild to think about just all of the ways that he's able to like keep play alive um and we knew all about this. We knew all about him in this going into the playoffs. So certainly will be the X factor for the Colorado Avalanche tonight if they're able to indeed wrap the series and win the Stanley Cup trophy. Coming up next, back to the NBA, some more draft talk. We break it down with somebody who's got a lot of thoughts and opinions. This is Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport, kicking it with you on this Friday evening, sitting in for Sarah and Jason. As always, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. So I was duped, as was most of the NBA world, with the way that the top three order played out on Thursday night during the draft. Instead of Jabari Smith going number one overall to the Orlando Magic, he ends up going number three to the Houston Rockets. Let's tap in now with Houston Rockets TV analyst and former NBA forward Ryan Hollins, who joins Courtney Cronin and Teron Davenport on Spain and Fitz. Ryan, what do you make of the way that the draft order played out, given what we were expected and, and what became reality? I don't, I don't think it was a big surprise. You know, Chet Holmgren was locked in at, at the second pick, but to me it was between Paulo and Smith, and I love that position for the Rockets because you get a number one pick talent at the third spot, and I, I kind of saw that coming down. And honestly, you, you could interchange any of those three or four guys that ended up going at that spot, so I thought it was a win, a win for all the teams. I think Van Charles most equipped to come and play. I think Smith definitely has a position in the league to make an immediate impact. It will arguably be the best shooter in the, in the, in the draft. Uh, defensively, he can get after you with his length and athleticism. He's extremely NBA-ready, and I, I see a lot of boom potential in, in Chet. It just may take a, a little bit, but the way that he can handle the ball and his mobility and his length, I mean, he's extremely unique as a ball player, and we've been seeing him on the circuit for a very long time. You're very familiar with Houston, so you, you mentioned Smith, but how much does the acquisition of Atari East and as well as Ty Ty Washington, like how much does – getting those three guys, that trio of, of young fellas, how much does that help the, the roster that Houston has? 
well, here's a forget familiar. I, I, that's the team that I'm I'm, I'm with for the, for the year, man. It's much more than that. And I think honestly, the Houston Rockets won the draft with that. You know, you get a a backup point guard who can play some starter minutes, who can get in the lane with maturity and make plays, and then you get versatility uh, on, on the wing. And, and you know, this league, it's all about being able to switch multiple positions and getting size. And that was definitely a need in the minds of the Houston Rockets, and they addressed that. So. I think from a defensive standpoint, they got better. Uh, they have some maturity off the bench. And these pieces all, what do they do? They complement Kevin Porter Jr. They complement Jalen Green, who's going to be one of the next stars in the NBA. So, you know, Houston is definitely taking the correct steps. We're talking with Ryan Hollins, Houston Rockets television analyst, former NBA forward breaking down a bit of the NBA draft, uh, a team that we expected to move up that was not able to or maybe just didn't throw enough pieces at teams in the top five were the New York Knicks. And I'm wondering, can you make sense of what happened for the Knicks in trading out of the first round yesterday and all of these protected first-round picks that might not actually pan out to be what they expect in the future? Here's the thing for the Knicks. What they did is they cleared a lot of cap space. And if, if any little hiccup goes on with Kyrie Irving, they're, they're looking to be all over that. Okay, if anything happens and for some odd, crazy reason, Kevin Durant wants to get out of town and he doesn't feel like having the move, you know, they're, they're going to be hopping in that. So they cleared up space. And, hey, also Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is the guy you can build your team around. They put the ball in his hands with Luka Doncic on the bench or even on the floor, and Brunson played really, really good basketball. So what New York did is just clear a space to go get a guy and, and possibly to splash a free agency or possibly be a sign and trade or just outright. So I, I think they're in good company. And, hey, man, Nets, you guys don't want it? We'll take KD and Kyrie. We'll take them to come over and be a Nick. There's nothing like it. So I don't think all is lost with the Knicks. I think they didn't jump in and make a, a big splash, but I think it's just – a matter of being patient, but I think things are trending in a correct di- direction in New York. I know he didn't fit, but if Sacramento, they didn't take Jaden Ivey, do you, do you think that they kind of messed up by not at least trying to entice the team to trade up to get him in front of uh, Detroit? Well, it, it's tough, man, because Sacramento's going to be under heavy scrutiny. You know, you pass up on three, you know, <laughs> all-star, all-the-thing type players. And, you know, you wanted Jaden Ivey, but the real thing you did is you committed to De'Aaron Fox. Mm-hmm. You don't make the move, moves that they made without committing to him, and you did it once again in the draft, and they got a piece that complements with size, versatility, who can actually put the ball in the basket. So I think that's what Sacramento's doing. Now, only time will tell. Would this be that big mix-up? Did they, did they pass on Russell Westbrook? Did they pass on John Morant? Only time will tell with that, but they feel like they really have something they've committed to in De'Aaron Fox. They've paid him as such, and they don't want any friction in the organization. And sometimes that's much more worth it than just going after uh, a, a talented pick. Ryan Hollins, Houston Rockets, TV analyst. It's our guest here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport sitting in for Sarah and Jason. Let's talk about Kyrie Irving because you had mentioned uh, maybe the Knicks might be interested if something doesn't work out with the Brooklyn Nets. And I know that the Knicks are on his short list of six teams that he would like to go to if he doesn't end up agreeing to, agreeing to, to an extension with the New York, uh, excuse me, with the Brooklyn Nets in the coming days. How do you see this saga realistically playing out for, for Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets? Ultimately, I hope it, it, it pans out with the Nets. 
I don't I think I don't think they've had health on their side. I think there's been a lot of distractions. And I think hopefully you see a scenario where they, they see that they have a healthy team and then they have a chance to go out and compete and win a you know, at least win or compete for a championship. And I don't think that you've seen their team at full. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, that's what I'd, I'd like to see. And, you know, I think it'd be advantageous for both sides. You know, Kyrie would be leaving a lot of money on the table uh, if, he, if he does that deal. And obviously with the Nets, man, you committed to a project and you, you do want to see it come out and you want to see it work. So I think that's what I'd like to see. I think it would make sense. But I think right now, obviously, because of the way that they ended the season, you know, there's question marks on Tyree Hayden. We may not want to pay you a five-year deal and give you that type of power. Or, or, or hey, Kyrie, you know, we, we need your commitment. And Kyrie is saying, man, you know, you guys still know I'm a top player in this league. You've seen what I bring to the table, and you're going to have to pay me such. Let's go to another player who has an option, and that's James Harden. Uh, what do you think the Sixers do do with him, especially after the way he disappeared, you know, in, in that uh, final game for them in the playoffs? They pay him. They pay him all that he's worth. You don't trade away a, a, a piece like Ben Simmons to just lose an asset, you know. So they're going to pay James Harden. And, and, you know, I think the notion is, you know, why are we going to make you the highest-paid player in the league? Well, every next guy that gets paid is going to be the next highest-paid player in the league. True. You know, I think there's this notion that it has to be LeBron. It has to be Kevin Durant. No, it doesn't necessarily work like that. So these guys are going to get paid. James Harden's going to get paid, and, and he's going to be worth the money. And, and no – they didn't make things happen in the playoffs that you like, but no, absolutely, they cannot afford for James Harden to slip out of their hands. So once they made that trade, you can almost pencil in and sign that new contract for James Harden. Ryan, before we let you go, I know free agency is we are on the cusp of it. Kyrie Irving, as we had mentioned with that option, uh, has to decide whether he opts in or opts out by Wednesday and several other players in that same spot. What do you think the outcome is going to be the next couple weeks for Brad Beal and the, and the Wizards? That's the intriguing piece. I, I think that's what can shake things up because, you know, Bradley Beal is a big piece that can move around uh, in, in the league. And any team that's trying to, you know, compete for a championship, you're going to have to look at that. You know, you're on the phone and, you know, this ends up being one of those deals where player to player, guys are reaching out saying, hey, Brad, you know, we think something happened over here with you or, you know, come, come over with us. So, you know, that's kind of how the league works. But it's intriguing to see, you know, Brad was a former teammate of mine and I think he's given everything he could in Washington. But I, I think you have to respect that he does leave. He's doing it on his own terms. And, uh, you know, he's really committed to the city and a, a wizard for life. Great stuff, Ryan. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. That's Ryan Hollins, former NBA forward, Houston Rockets TV analyst, joining Courtney Cronin and Teron Davenport on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, and now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Coming up next, we'll wrap up the week with buy or sell and send you into the weekend. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.
Nearing the five-minute mark in the first period of Game 5, Stanley Cup Finals still scoreless between Colorado and Tampa Bay. The Avalanche have a 3-1 lead on the Lightning, looking to close out the series and hoist the Stanley Cup trophy later tonight. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin and Tarad Davenport brought to you, as always, by Progressive Insurance. Let's round out the night, send you into your weekend with a little bit of buy or sell welcoming in producer harry black to help us go through the list harry what are we starting out with first well we have to start off on the ice because with this power play it might not be topical in a couple minutes so the power play for who the avalanche there is a power play for the avalanche right now. they're usually pretty good on those so this might actually uh be topical and be important yes the Lightning will send things back to Tampa Bay with a win tonight. Courtney, buy or sell? I'm selling that. I think that the Lightning have met their match, not just because Colorado is the better team right now. I think that they're absolutely gassed. And if Game Four uh, didn't take and and you know take out everything that they had left in the tank, I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to win this series regardless, uh, even if they get past them here in Game 5. So I think that the series ends tonight in Denver on home ice for the Colorado Avalanche. Kale McCarr will have a good one uh, if that is the case. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those situations where it just it's, it, it ran its course, right? They had uh, back-to-back championships this year, just wasn't – going to be the one for them everything that toe has been taken and uh, as Courtney said Kale McCarr I mean this guy is just playing outstanding hockey and I, I think he's going to win the con Smythe and they uh they end it today could have a similar situation to where Steph Curry a couple of years ago didn't win the MVP Nathan McKinnon not winning it this year if Kale McCarr takes it and then some questions as to well can he get it done on the biggest stage all right back to the NBA the Magic took the best player in the draft last night when they took Banchero. Tehran? I think without a doubt that is true. He is the best player in the draft. I think when you look at just the versatility, the all-around skills that he brings, the passing ability, I mean, there's there's a lot that he could do. And I'm just looking forward to seeing how he's going to go to Orlando and, and take over. And uh, we'll see if, if he – makes the all-star game. That's that's something that a lot of, you know, number one picks have, have been able to do uh, over the last couple of years. So uh, I think that he does that. Best player right now in terms of NBA ready, I think he is probably more of a liability on the defensive end uh, than someone like a Jabari Smith, certainly uh, Chet Holmgren, uh, is in his own category there. But um, he's a mobile big man that can drive to the basket. He can hit a mid-range shot. He can post up. Uh, he can find an open man while attracting a double team. He can do it all, and he did it all with Duke uh, last season. He's got all the skills needed to be a young star in the NBA. I, I When we were talking with Ryan Hollins, Houston Rockets TV analyst a couple moments ago here on Spain and Fitz, we talked about the surprise factor, and I guess we shouldn't really be that surprised that he went number one overall. Maybe I was. We were, we were surprised just because the order seemed like it was locked, right? Like, but talent-wise, that shouldn't surprise anybody because Paulo Banchero, uh, Banchero is, is shown tons of growth during his one season at Duke and played some of his best basketball. You know, at a spot where the spotlight was constantly on that team and all that they had to do to deliver. And yeah, they fell short uh, in the national championship game but he was terrific throughout the entire year so yeah I do think that um, you can go ahead and, and 
give him that give him that nod. Good thing we got that lightning question out of the way early because it is now 1-0. I do not know how to pronounce the name of the goal scorer. I think it's Jan Ruta. A 95-mile-per-hour slap shot. Lightning are now up 1-0. All right. We're going to stick to the hardwood. Kyrie Irving and KD will be with the Nets next year. Courtney. I'd like to see it because I want to see them rise to their potential and actually play a full season together where injuries and other factors don't complicate the matter. So I'll go ahead and say that the Nets are going to – I don't want to say fold because I don't think that's fair. I think they're going to have to do what it takes to keep Kevin Durant happy, and that means that they're going to give Kyrie Irving maybe not a max extension, but something that like is so similar to it that he can't say no and refuse it. Because I think Kevin Durant's going to probably put some pressure on KD on, on Kyrie in this situation. Be like, dude, come on, I I gave up everything to be with you. Like I came here because of you. I need you to do me a solid here and agree to this deal, prove it this year, and then you can go ahead and get the max extension, you know, renegotiate your ter- the terms of your contract at a later time. But I, I would like to see them together next year, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, will that into existence. Yeah, I believe they'll be together. And you look at the Kyrie situation, right? It's been a disappointing <laughs> tenure with with, uh, with the Brooklyn Nets, but – they have to do everything they can to keep Kevin Durant there. He was really the centerpiece of how they were going to spring forward to win the championship. It hasn't happened, clearly. And if Kyrie leaves, Kevin Durant is there, and they're going to have to figure something out. So I, I think they yeah. do cave in, and they make sure that he does get some type of long-term security, even though I don't feel he's earned it to this point, at least with Brooklyn but it's going to happen. You you can throw some incentives in there. Like I I just feel like they can't do that. They no, can't. No, they, they can't. They can't. They've got to find a creative they've got to find a creative way to incentivize him and be like, "Hey, this is all, but see, like just here, as good." I don't know. I mean, he's not dumb. He's not going to agree to something where problem. he feels like he's being slighted as a here's player. Here's the problem. Kyrie has already proven that he could get so dug in. So, it's difficult to come to him and be like, "Hey, listen. You know that it hasn't been what we expected. Mm-hmm. Come on, work with us. And I think that's the problem. That's going to be the, the hiccup in the negotiations. So they're going to have to get creative one way or the other. We'll see how it happens. Or they could just end up calling his bluff, just like Alan Hahn said uh, from Barton Hahn earlier today. Maybe they end up winning the faceoff because they can look at Kyrie Irving and say, you're not realistically taking a pay cut to go somewhere else, and we're not going to help you facilitate this sign-and-trade. Um, well, because why would we do that when you are effectively raking us over the coals here? I would imagine there are other teams that could make something happen that, that aren't on his wish That aren't his six, so. yeah. Yeah, maybe. yeah it's, it's that's that's the thing. I, I would rather if I'm if I'm the Nets, I don't even get allowed to, to go there. We're just going to go ahead and, and, and figure out a way to make this thing happen. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Teron Davenport with you on this Friday evening. Harry, what do we got next? All right. Next up, we have another New York team. Aaron Judge will hit for over 60 home runs this year. Currently, he has 27 and is on pace for 64. Tehran. Oof. <laughs> I think he does break Roger Maris's Yankee record. I think he does hit over 60. I'm going to give him 62, 63, 
somewhere along the line, you know how this thing goes, man. There's going to be a little slump that's going to uh, hang over him, but he'll get back on course. And this guy is making himself buku money. I, props to him, man. He turned down a $213 million deal. I think this deal that he's going to get, whether it's from the Yankees, the the Red Sox, the Ain't, somebody's going to give him a deal. Not give him. Somebody's going to sign him to a deal because he earned it. Yes, he did. It's going to start with a three. $300 million, I, I think, is, is the deal that he's going to get. And uh, I'm not so sure the Yankees do that. The Mets have already said that Steve Cohen Steve Cohen already said that he he's not going to do that to the Yankees, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the Dodgers, that's a good one too. Yeah, I mean, they've got – they make it rain every single uh, year in free agency. And that, to me, would probably be the betting favorite if it's not the New York Yankees. And it feels like because they couldn't agree to that deal before the season, they might have priced themselves out of the Aaron Judge range. Uh, to end things here, I don't think he will hit home run, 60 home runs this year, Harry. Um, I'd like to see it, sure. It's really hard to hit 60 home runs, and he's got the strength to do it um, in the environment to do it too, especially with how well he's – played in his home ballpark but mm-hmm. I I just feel like there's um it's just such a hard feat to accomplish and that's why getting there season after season we don't see players really reach that mark uh all all that often in, in today's uh major league baseball game but if there's anybody who can do it it's Aaron Judge and uh he certainly will deserve every penny of what Tehran was saying uh that paycheck could become with a three starting at the beginning of it, and he's certainly worth that, whether it's for the Yankees or someone else. Time will tell. That's it for us. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is next. You've been listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.